Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording and recognize elders past, present, and emerging. time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. And the groundbreakers, history makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. My name is Emma Race and I'm joined by my football-loving Sanctum sisters. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Shelley Ware. Hi, it's Lucy Race here. Hello, one and all. Welcome. Round seven of season seven has been completed of the AFLW. Seven's my lucky number and followed by two. So to have two sevens, pretty lucky. And the round didn't disappoint. There were so many highlights, but for me... It was Jess Delpos's left foot goal for the baggers. I've watched it way too many times. Lucy, what were your highlights? Oh, like you, I could probably name 27 highlights from this round. It was just a cracker and I was very happy to be able to watch a whole lot of it. I'm going to single out the game between Fremantle and Adelaide, which was just a cracking game. It was so hotly contested. It was very hard for either team to really get some ascendancy. I was so impressed by Fremantle, especially considering that they lost Gabby O'Sullivan and Jenna Cuthbertson both to injury during that game. So they had two players sitting on the bench. But at three-quarter time, Fremantle was nine points ahead and we were poised for a classic fourth quarter. And what did the Crows do? They did what they always do. They put the foot down, led by Chelsea Randall, who came out within the first 30 seconds of of the fourth quarter, kicks a goal. They just put the foot down. Um, They kicked four goals, three to zip, and ended up winning by 18 points. The thing that I just loved about that game was the battle between Ebony Marinoff and old Turbo in Kiara Bowers, the two of them racked up so many disposals. I think Kiara was on 29 disposals and 19 tackles. Thank you very much. While Ebony had 32 disposals and 11 tackles. They're just a joy to watch. Can I squeeze in another highlight? Why not? That's Turbo being Turbo and you being you asking for and squeezing in another highlight. I'm just going to tell you I might ask for a third. Anyway, let's see how we go. I also loved watching Eilish Sheeran, um, who played for the Tigers on the weekend, who racked up an incredible 22 disposals, three tackles, and kicked her first goal in the AFLW. So she's been um, she's been a bit of a crowd favourite. I'm seeing quite a bit of love for her on Twitter, and I just love the way she plays. She's just got that, her second efforts, she really seems to have just this amazing energy about her and I thought that was wonderful to watch. Also just the milestone players this this round that kicked goals and how fun is it to see a player kick a goal in their 50th game. Special mention Kate Hoare whose goal from the boundary at about 35 metres out was 
just sublime. And Steph Chachi and Tilly Lucas Tilly Rod, Lucas Rod. All yes. just like fairy tale goals. Is that it? Are you done now? Oh, do you want, you want one going? more? Do you want one more? Should we allow her one more? Should we allow her one more, Nicole? Give Shelley, what do you reckon? You get one more. That's it. Okay. One more. If I went for one more, Taylor Harris's one-handed mark in the second quarter for the, the Demons. Cracker. Fair Just put, enough. put the mid out. <laughs> kind of like that baseballer that we saw on Twitter this week who caught a baseball bat. Didn't even break a sweat. Loved it. Shelley, what were your highlights? I'm going to do a Lucy too. I'm going to sneak in a few extras. But um, I was very excited about Richmond beating, you know, their fifth game in a row, West Coast by 19 points. It was a great game, an absolute cracker. The Tigers gave us a bit of a nail-biting win there. They've been doing a bit of that, which has been exciting. And Grace Egan with the final two goals was pretty special. And Meg McDonald has been fierce for the Tigers in the stoppages. But for the team, I was actually a little bit heartbroken about for the last few seasons. It was exciting to see where they're going. And I do love the Pride Jumpers and the work that's gone into them. And I was a big fan of the Carlton Football Club Pride Jumper by Megan Furphy. It was in conjunction with the fans, the members and the Carlton Pride Group, which is going to be a bit of a theme for me this week. I loved the line work and the colours of the Progress flag. And I especially loved the Auslan sign for equality. Just loved that. I thought it was really, really special. And I cannot believe, Lucy, that Tilly Lucas-Rod was not in there with that last goal that she kicked. It was superb. I turned my TV on. I was a little bit sick over the weekend. So when I turned my TV on and there she was in the strength of her body, I was just so empowered by how wonderful she looked when she kicked that last goal. And she just looked so strong and fit and healthy and it was wonderful to see. I was just trying not to be parochial, Shell. <laughs> Oh, I chucked in Carlton, but that was actually sincerity. <laughs> Do you still have a soft spot for her because she started at Carlton? Oh, I've just got a soft spot for that headband and that hair, to be honest. The hair game is so strong with Tilly Lucas Rod. Um, you're going to get parochial, Nicole. What were your highlights? Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to sneak it in. <laughs> I've got my way. But, but I was just going to say, just with that West Coast Tigers game, clearly those mineral resources know what they're doing because did you look at the – the field like the quality of that grass it looks like carpet there is not a gr- do you have grains of you don't have grains of your blades of grass out of place <laughs> it was just perfection um so you know i guess that's what happens when you've got gazillion dollars to go into I mean, a, yeah, a mining money is mining money is everything's perfect over there it certainly fixed well, the, except for the and, big holes in the ground on to um my highlights about the actual football i guess I want to just acknowledge how far these new teams have come and I think the Cats third win in a row is really kind of epitomized that if you think about a couple of years ago they were the easy beats where they were struggling to get even one win and um, and this is true of the Tigers as well so watching those two um, now like literally in the running for finals they're in the the top eight and have every chance of of going all the way it's just extraordinary to see well not as surprising perhaps as it should as others might think but all that extra game time what a difference it does to the way the team gels the way they move together but also just the skill level and I think you're seeing it also even incredibly with the new some of the new teams just this season so if you look at sort of the development of Hawthorne and Essendon over seven rounds the difference from that first game or even the first couple of games to where they are now and seeing just that consistency across the team 
the players know each other better. And I know that they didn't have the extra turnaround season that the other teams did have, but some of the players did. And also that it is it did follow the VFLW season, so which was a big mix of the players in both those teams. But yeah, what I really have noticed in particular is how that's affected two of my favourite um, skills in particular, which the contested mark. If you go back to our early, like the inaugural season, there were a handful of players. There were the Talls who could do it, the Emma Kings and Taylor Harris. Like they were fairly confident in an overhead mark. Darcy Vessio could pull in anything, but it was still a rarity to really be able to pull down a mark in a contest. Now there's multiple players who are able to do it on every team. And just this round, there are a couple of stunners from Bonnie Toogood, Dakota Davidson, Kate can do it week after week, pulls them out of nowhere. And Chloe Shear at the Cats, she is so strong and, you know, it's impossible to defeat. And you, you mentioned already mentioned Taylor's one-hander, but Ian McDonough was everywhere for the Hawks. Given that she's used to a round ball uh, as an Irish uh, recruit, the way that she can manage that football is extraordinary. And I just love seeing, I think it's the mark is the one thing that is is absolutely about experience. Yes, there's a lot of skill involved, but it's such a weird shaped ball that it's just game time. That's the only thing that can really help you develop that skill. And and I think you can really see it playing out. It's season seven. What a difference it is. It's so interesting that you should touch on that. Lucy and I were talking about the duality of, I've been going back to the ladder a lot, not just because Hawthorne's sitting on 11th, which I feel quite thrilled by, but because, and this is a bit of a mea culpa corner, because I hated the conferences, but I've got to be honest, when I'm looking at the ladder, I break it down in my head and go like the ladder of the haves, the have-nots and the newbies. And so I'm kind of looking at those new teams going, okay, well, Hawthorne's, you know, sitting above all the other expansion teams for this season. And then I have that middle section, which is like St Kilda and Geelong and Richmond that that last season I thought, oh, they're just not quite there yet, but they've really stepped it up. When I saw that Geelong was sitting fourth on the ladder, it blew my hair back. I was like, oh, my goodness, look at this. And then there's the real halves, which is, you know, your Adelaide. Um, I still put North Melbourne in there, by the way, but I'm not sure if I should. The Brisbane Lions, Melbourne and Collingwood. And so actually looking at that, I was thinking round eight's going to be a real hot one because the Lions play the Crows. The Ds may not actually lose a game now looking at the rest of the season they are only playing people below them on the ladder which you know when you're third is most of the teams but um the pies and the lions also meet in round 10 so i reckon it's possible that the d's will win and get a home it may be that it's the d's lions and there's a home grand final and if there is does that mean they play it on the g this is a whole other conversation piece that i'm very excited about having loose percentage really comes into it as well so when you've only got 10 rounds it means that there's maybe just a bit more congestion in terms of win-loss ratios and it's interesting to see Carlton sitting above Hawthorne 10th on the ladder because they've got two draws so that adds up to the extra win. I was trying to do the maths on that and that challenged me a little bit but I've been thinking about how you measure a competition when it's in an expansion phase and I don't want to give any more airtime to the Pleave Prife conversation. That's a made up. Siv Rice. What shall we call him? Siv Rice. Yes. I don't want to give any more time to the Siv Rice comments, but I think we're challenged because we don't often watch a competition when it's in that, you know, real expansion phase. And, you know, we weren't around to watch the men's when it was in its expansion stage. We're watching new teams come into the men's competition, but we're just in this kind of burgeoning competition and so 
all of the things that we would normally use as measures of how clubs are going, how teams are tracking, all of those things, we have to just be a little bit more nuanced about it. And talking about those expansion teams, and you mentioned, Nick, that uh, they haven't had to necessarily back up and play two seasons. I'd also say they've only been playing together for a few months. And so, so much of this game depends on good connection. The only thing that you can really do is have time um, to really grow that connection, particularly between the lines. That's what we're starting to see with some of the teams. And I think we're going to see that everyone's going to have growth. And I think a few weeks ago, there was a lot of conversation about Sydney and, you know, they were beaten so soundly, but I didn't see them drop their heads. And it made me think there's a different conversation going on within the walls of that club about what they're measuring, what their objectives are, what their goals are in terms of going into every game. And we don't necessarily know what that is. So it's just great to see that continual growth, even though they might all be starting from different points. Yeah, I think that the measurement and the tools for what their KPIs are are things so outside of footy that that's why I think when Siv Rice has an opinion, He's not taking on board the fact that what I see is that Hawthorne, for example, a measurement of how well they think they're tracking is how many debutants they've had. Like that's a that's a conversation piece that's really important when you're building something from the ground up. And so those things are not applicable on the scoreboard and they don't, you know, to a, to a person who's just stopping in and watching the highlights or watching five minutes and forming an opinion, they don't see that as the kind of KPIs that they're looking for. So I think you're right. And so I think that, that there's different objectives for each of the teams. I think what's really fun at the moment is especially watching the Brisbane Lions, Collingwood and Melbourne is that their KPIs seem to be let's see how we can respond when when they when people are bearing down on us and they do they they're able to pivot and change their game style and change their game plan they're playing really exciting footy which makes it really fun for spectators to watch and I really feel like you know between those teams in Adelaide that you would be hard pressed to think that anyone else is going to make the finals but they're going to be awesome finals it's really exciting one thing I saw this week which I think I shared with all of you was Nathan Burke's whiteboard uh, at three quarter time and it or quarter time even and he was using the emojis in the huddle on the whiteboard and I loved it it was very a group chat Shelly <laughs> you printed out all of the emojis for our, for our um for our live show which was inside the group chat I felt like this is meeting players where they live right like do you think that Nathan Burke has gone, how do I speak to my kids? I use emojis. That's how I'm going to, like, it's a really good cut through. And it made me question, and this one's really for Tess and a couple of people playing at home, but do you think Nathan Burke has educated himself on who Young Gravy is? <laughs> I'd like to see him use TikToks at quarter time next week. Like if we're really talking the language of the next generation, I think emojis is actually showing your age a little bit. As long as, like punctuation. Well, I- <laughs> the thing you've really got to watch is the thumbs up, which to teens is like an insult, even though we use it all of the time. My kids think I'm in, they're in trouble when I send them a thumbs up. So I do it all the time just to mess with them. But it's actually, mm. a, they consider it rude. All of their friends, because they message their friends, sometimes they message mm. me, I give them a thumbs up and they're like, Emily, is your mum mad with me? <laughs> My is kids have told just... me that a full stop is violent. Oh, is that absolutely like <clears throat> truth? That's the Is truth. That just Capitals are shouting really? even for one. Yeah, just even at the beginning of a sentence, it's rude. Oh my god! Is that like your kids' group, or is it actual like a whole lot? Oh no, I of think kids. it's a thing. 
I think it's oh. universal. You know, well, they've it's, been locked up in COVID for so long they had to come up with something. I think it's an old person thing like email, you know, the way they, pers- they see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was in a workshop this week and someone didn't know who Rob Lowe was and then lots of other people mentioned what that they didn't know who Rob about? Lowe was and I said the words to my husband, there are people driving cars who don't know who <laughs> Rob Lowe is. That makes me feel more unsafe about Russia and the nuclear codes. <laughs> Crazy. Um, So here's another curly one. Robert Harvey in the commentary box for AFLW lost a bit of cred this week for me when he admitted that he'd never watched Aaron Phillips play live. And I think that there's actually been a bit of a, it's a bit of a theme that's emerging in that there's people in the commentary box who have so much AFLM cred, but when they come into the AFLW commentary box, they don't, they haven't watched enough of it and they don't know who these players are. Sometimes mucking up the names of people, admitting stuff like that really exposes you. And I couldn't help but think, sounding like Sarah Jessica Barker, I couldn't help but think, (laughs) Doesn't this just show how different the competitions are? It doesn't matter how much AFLM cred that you've got. You walk in, new information to hand that if you've never seen Mua Lalawifi play, if you don't know the difference between Bonnie Toogood and Aaron Phillips and you've never seen them play this game live and you you actually don't know their back catalogue, I don't know what role you have in the commentary box I think it actually really matters and there's no way that this would happen in an AFLM game I mean Kelly Underwood said the orange team which is kind of a colloquial way of her just finding a different way this is how I read it when she said that about GWS in the men's she just said that as a different way of saying the team then she got absolutely hounded for it. Like people were like, don't you even know their names? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, this wouldn't fly the other way. So I don't know why we're putting up with it. There's been so much great movement into the commentary box this season with so many new women's voices and um, non-binary people's voices that uh, it seems weird when this happens. And I really just don't think the men's game would put up with it at all. Do you think that we need to send a memo? I reckon if they were in a men's game, they wouldn't say it. If they were comment a guy, if if Robert Harvey was in uh, in the commentary box in a men's game, he would not admit he hadn't seen this particular well-known player play live. He would he would fake it because that would be something he'd be ashamed of, I think. But because it's the women's game, um I think he, you know, it's it's like an extra an added extra to have watched. But um, just on Kelly Underwood, (laughs) she also um, called at the end of the Brisbane game when they won, she said they leapt over Grabolade. (laughs) And I actually (laughs) thought she might have made up a new thing. (laughs) I think she just stumbled. It's going to be the Macquarie Dictionary. Grabolade, like maybe because they grab the Premiership Cup all the time or something. I I really think we should make it a thing. I like it. (laughs) I love Grabolade, Lucy. I I don't think we need to send a memo because I think Twitter sends a memo and I think that we we see that. We see that in a lot of different areas in football. AFLW Twitter is not shy about saying what they think. It's a really good point. We'll get to what happened at Essendon this week and, you know, Twitter did play a massive part of it. Uh, The Hampson-Hardman Cup was played this week, Lucy. You're keeping a close eye on that. And Daisy, of course, did a great job of always bringing it back to the Trailblazers. Yeah, when um, accepting that cup, it was just lovely to hear Daisy saying how important it is to 
remember where we've come from. And I'm going to say we as if I am actually on the field and I'm not, but I'm going to talk about (laughs) the community of AFLW. But just to remember the past and to keep that in our hearts and our minds as we go forward and develop. And season seven is just quite a cracker. And I feel I've just got this sense that as a competition, it's really starting to mature. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is Kurt Fernley, and I love listening to the Outer Sanctum. Are we all ready to roll up our sleeves in melee, my friends? Yep. Okay. Yeah, yes. yep. Let's do it. Goodness me, the AFL M uh, off season is keeping the internet in business, isn't it? This week, the biggest chat piece has been the appointment and subsequent standing down within a 24 hour period of Andrew Thorburn. What we know is that Andrew Thorburn is the head of a church who has views that do not align with the aspirations of the Essendon Football Club. As discussed on Offsiders this week, I thought it was a really good conversation. Alistair Nicholson made the point that on the appointment of Andrew Thorburn, it was social media that brought to light the extreme and damaging views of the church that he leads, and that subsequently uh, meant that there was an ultimatum handed to him about whether he was going to give up the church or he was going to give up the Essendon Football Club CEO position. He chose for the latter. Um, It's unfortunately put on the agenda, a conversation that I just feel for all of our LGBTIQ rainbow queer friends shouldn't be happening and constantly happens. But I've dug around and listened to some really smart people having conversations this week. On Chicks Talking Footy this week, Purple Bombers Pride Group leader Jason Twazen McSheen made the point that Essendon had acted swiftly and it went from being the worst 24 hours to feeling like they'd won the grand final. And I think it was a line in the sand moment but I'm feeling quite, well, I'm tired today after all the interviews, but I feel quite elated that Essendon actually went, no, this is what we stand for. Inclusion is now core business. It's not a cherry on top. And football wouldn't survive if we didn't make inclusion core business. I want to put that up top. But I also want to recognise that this puts a conversation on the agenda again that's incredibly painful for a lot of our queer friends. And it's just not okay for footy to keep dishing this up. Lucy, how have you dissected this story? I kind of just want to dig into something that Andrew Thorburn said in his statement, where he said that he felt his personal Christian faith is not tolerated or permitted in the public square. And he went on to say that his Christian faith and his association with the church are unacceptable in our culture if you wish to hold a leadership position in society. And I've heard a lot of discourse around this, like, does that mean he's disqualified from holding other positions? Or what does that mean for people of faith? And I've done a lot of thinking about it. And where I've kind of come to is that I think everyone is absolutely free to hold their own beliefs 
But when those beliefs become active in a way that impacts on the lives and the bodies of others, that's when we reach a different point. And the views expressed by this particular church, of which he does hold a leadership position, and that's a position of power, it seeks to impact the lives and bodies of others. And the examples that have been raised are comments on the church's website saying that same-sex relationships are sinful and also likening abortion to concentration camps. Where I think churches like this um, do become active is that they proselytise. So what they do is they, they share these views and they try to influence the people that are part of that community and they try to influence other people as well. And that for me, makes it untenable for somebody like Thorburn to hold a leadership position at a football club in 2022. There might be some values of the the two, the church and the football club that are in common, but on some really key areas, I think they're mutually exclusive. And I think I you know, said to you guys in the group chat that I wonder if we would be having this discussion if the leader of an activist vegan or animal rights organisation was employed to be the leader of the beef industry board. I kind of see it as being, you know, that (laughs) disparate in terms of values. And in some ways, I don't really love that example either, because sexuality and gender isn't a choice. It's part of who you are. And that's different in my mind to beliefs that you might hold. And I think the other key point that we need to keep in mind is that Thorburn is still welcome to be part of the football community he's still very welcome to be a club member he's welcome to go to games even to I'd even argue that he'd be welcomed as a player or at a different role in the club one that isn't in a leadership position but I think when you've got competing values like that it's just not tenable. What do you say to people who say the story about Hanin Zarika not playing in the upcoming Pride match against Hawthorne for GWS it, it's come at this time as well and there's been a lot of comparisons what do you say to that? I just think it's a false equivalence that Hanin is not in a leadership position so Hanin Zarika is a very different player in 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 this kind of conversation based on power and the power that she holds. And I would also argue that she's not seeking to make her views active in a way that negatively affects others. I see her quietly withdrawing from playing in the Pride game. And while I don't necessarily like that that's the choice that she's made, um, I accept that that's the choice that she's made. I see it as very different even to people like Israel Folau and Margaret Court who have um, used their platforms to preach quite hateful homophobic content. And so I see it as really different. I think, you know, here it's, it's about power and it's about leadership and it's about values that, um, you know, when we want leaders to be coming to clubs and being authentic and bringing their whole selves I don't know how you can do that if you're holding leadership positions at two organisations with vastly different values. Shell, how have you taken in? I mean, you're on lots of boards. You're involved in governance and governance is really, really hard. Um, This stuff comes down to a lot of due diligence, which appears to have been walked past here for whatever reason, whatever the system Mm. was. But how have you kind of looked at this story this week? Yeah, I am on some boards. And for me, it was when you have a position of power and you're going to be hiring someone, you do your homework, you know, whether they suit the organisation and that's behind closed doors. 
that's a process that you can have quite openly and, and it's no one's business. We never know whose resume goes to one pile and whose resume goes to the other pile. You know, that sort of is where you can make those sorts of decisions. But when it gets to the point that the person's hired and people in the org and the stakeholders know, um, we expect that the homework has been done about that person if they, their values match that organisation. But it became very quickly that his values and the appointment of Andrew um, Thornburn did not suit the majority of the stakeholders of the Essendon Football Club. So I, I'm thinking that the Collingwood's new proposal of including fans and stakeholders into moving forward, I really think that that's something to learn from in this moment. Like there are two things to take from there. Collingwood are making sure that members have more right to vote. They have a bit more in the say in the club's future and the fans are an integral part of that. And we saw that reaction at Essendon with the CEO appointment last week saying, you know, maybe moving forward these things can be avoided if they shape the future of the club together. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that the club was willing to roll onto its sword and appear messy and like they've Mm. made a mistake. I feel like we haven't necessarily seen that from footy clubs a lot, but I think it also does up the stocks of acting in the way that that they say that they are you know that it that it mm. says it it is putting things ahead of and I I think I am influenced by what Jason was saying because it I did want to hear how an Essendon person from the queer community felt and mm. I've spoken to a few of them and I think it does speak volumes if you're willing to say make it look like you've made a mess of something Mm, but to still ask people to step up and I I don't know how willing clubs would have been to do that in the past but I think what it says is you need to be inclusive or this is not a business model that we can stick to so I think having players fans and more people in the room to help make those decisions from a greater I guess base of people who are stakeholders in the club is such a important and great lesson from this. I think it's also really important to just state that we don't know what Andrew Thorburn's particular values and beliefs that he holds are because he hasn't shared them. Oh, don't you reckon though, if you're the head of that church, I, I don't see, if you're mm. like, you can be someone who says, I go to church because I like to sing the songs. You're, you're not the head of that church if you don't mm. think that. I mean, we don't know. Sure, we don't know. Mm. Sorry. But devil's avocado, I just go, that's not, I just think if you stand for, if you're the head of that, then. Mm. Well, that's, and that's what I was going to say, that I think in some ways I think it's irrelevant because I think it's actually about leadership. Like when you've got positions of power, that really does make up for anything else yes yeah, so I should yeah, have cut we can you off there I guess that that's okay <laughs> Nicole <laughs> yeah look I think it's there's been a lot of things issues I think that have been flagged by this and and I take your point that they moved quickly in response which I, I think we've seen clubs reverse decisions but they it usually takes them a lot longer and the resistance <laughs> you know there's a lot of resistance inside the challenge of the Essendon situation and in particular the fact that, you know, there are other red flags about that appointment. What I think it speaks to, and I think it's also relevant in the Hawthorne conversation and and also in Collingwood's in response to or the lead up to the Do Better report, is that there's a particular kind of insularity in AFL 
uh, around the sport itself, the governing body, but certainly at Clubland. And we've talked about a lack of diversity being part of that problem and and the obvious you know disadvantages there are to it. Obviously, the unfairness being a big one, but it also results in a kind of revolving door of names and connections where the same names show up and you know are either a CEO of one club or a football manager at another, and there's just a limited pool from which they draw. You know that is largely based on networks and connections and and really what was very much a closed club and a boys club let's not kid ourselves the challenge with that and there are many but one of them is that when you feel like you know people or it's a friend of a friend there is the risk of shortcuts being taken and it also creates a culture of interdependence where if somebody puts somebody's name forward and they get an opportunity, then they are mindful of the fact that this person helped them. So if they need a kick up or if there's an opportunity and it works in this sort of circular way so that the names, the same names come up over and over again, but it also can create, cultivate a sense of obligation. We've seen that with, with uh, individuals who have stepped up in, um, you know, in support of people on a personal level and the character, you know, the character statements, that sort of a thing. What's, new about this is a lot of that was happening behind closed doors once and the way that clubs have opened up to members in certain ways particularly you know showing the personal side of the club and making direct and personal connections with members introducing players uh the all that behind the scenes stuff that they have done to encourage membership numbers the, pro- the downside of that, which perhaps they weren't ready for, is the fact that it gives members a sense of entitlement and a belief that they are owed something more than just to show up at each game every week. And I don't think they were ready for that. You know, So that means that when somebody like an outsider comes into the club where there is this sort of insular arrangement and you don't have to think, you know, you just go back to Peggy O'Neill's, uh, the, the boardroom coup that was discussed at the time. And there was a, a membership uprising. You know, sometimes it can be well um, intentioned, other times perhaps not as well intentioned. But the reality is when outsiders come into that environment, there is resistance to them. Bridie O'Donnell's brief time on the Collingwood board is also a testament to that. But the difference is now that there's an increasing transparency and a shifting accountability, which Clubs are not entirely embracing as quickly as perhaps they need to, um, but they, it is, they are being forced to by their own membership, and I think that's a really good thing. So I don't, I'm not suggesting that this lack of transparency means that clubs are doing things wrong, but what it does mean is it's the perception anyway is as important as the reality, and it does mean that there can be a misunderstanding or people don't trust the process. And so this will force other clubs to perhaps look at their own processes and hopefully open the door to um, a wider conversation so that these sorts of appointments aren't quite as sort of between the boys and between the the besties that it has been in recent years and, and continues to be really. And you see that the the trading doors, the, the revolving doors are between the AFL and the clubs too. So hopefully this forces some measure of change. It's an inter- You've raised so many interesting points in there because firstly, I feel like the football loving public is now empowered and has grown up on a diet of true crime podcasts and has Google and the dark web at their disposal and can and can Google something quicker than probably most boards can. And let's be transparent on this, most people on boards and are doing all of that work voluntarily. And so I would take it on advisement if I was on a board that someone had, if someone came in, did due diligence and said presented stuff, I'd go, well, that's the expert in due diligence. And I wouldn't do that anymore. I'm not currently on a board, but I wouldn't do that anymore. I'd be Googling everyone. But also 
that older people have probably been warning their kids for so long, be careful what you put online, it'll come back to haunt you. And actually, when people are, that many people are making content and the world is changing, I think 10 years ago, the views that he held probably wouldn't have held him back from being the CEO. And that's it was about 10 years ago that this sermon was kind of um, buried and, and found from. So I think that, you know, he hasn't gone back and done his own due diligence on himself because I, my feeling is that maybe Essendon felt that they couldn't ask questions about his religion. They could have dug in more. They probably didn't. They probably scratched the surface. They probably didn't do enough. But, you know, having said that, Lucy said today that that religion is actually changing things on their homepage and their website and cleaning up their website at the moment and things are disappearing very quickly because their views have also changed over time and they haven't revisited that. This is a trifle of so many different layers of things. When you talk about the process of the fact that he was, you know, on the process of trying to find the new CEO and then appointed himself, I'm like, I feel like I see that everywhere in footy, that that is a revolving door. And what it comes down to is that we have been screaming for so long to say that leadership needs to look and feel the same way as the people that it's leading. And it doesn't. It just doesn't. It's failing at every turn that the outer still looks really diverse, but that's not what it looks like necessarily at the upper echelon of executive or governance level necessarily. That, you know, my own club has no Indigenous person sitting on their board and I've made it known that that is absolutely not okay and especially in light of everything that's been happening. So, if this is the moment that we we can say this is why this is why it's important that you have these people in the room then there can be no better example lucy there's been a lot of articles that really kind of lean into the culture wars aspect of of this story and there's two things i'd like to say about that um the first thing i'd like to say is that in one of these articles it basically said not giving Andrew Thorburn the job is basically not embracing diversity because he was a diverse <laughs> candidate because of his faith. And so I've seen, I saw that and I've seen a lot of um, hand-wringing about a man has lost his job, which also riles me because... <laughs> It becomes a catch cry that kind of brands anything like this as this massive injustice, no matter what the reasons are behind something. And it's just this form of bizarre pearl clutching. And all I can think about is all of the people who have never even been given an opportunity to go for those roles or equally and you know this was something that came up a lot during me too you know think mm. of this poor man this poor man's lost his job like I cannot ever get out of my head the idea of how many people who faced harassment or racism or sexism or violence assault who have had to leave jobs leave careers leave organizations but also because they're invisible and because we don't get to hear their stories we we kind of don't ever think about that at the same time like a man lost his job that man got through the door in the first place that's what I think I bet he gets another one too and another one and another one and another one. The other point I'd say in terms of culture wars is that bringing out culture wars in quote marks is becoming a little bit like PC's gone mad and it's this cry that gets thrown about and it's often actually in response to a moral panic and I'd like to thank 
our dear friend Michael Hobbs from <laughs> a variety of different podcasts that we keep mentioning on this podcast, um, Maintenance Phase, You're Wrong About, who often talks about a lot of issues that come up like this and dissects them in terms of, well, what we're actually seeing here is a moral panic. And and we're seeing some of the characteristics of that this week in the way that the media plays a role in extrapolating one example or taking one example and extrapolating it to mean mass repression or, you know, the slippery slope to everybody being cancelled. And and employing things like false equivalences is just another weapon in that moral panic. So I think it does us well to actually dig in and look at the complexities of each situation. I might just fuck around and write an article that says we've actually um, put in a quota and we had too many Andrews at executive level in the AFL. So (laughs) sorry, you can't have the job. (laughs) While you're there, we can get rid of all the Keith statues as well. (laughs) (laughs) Too many Keith statues, too many Andrews in the AFL. They still do not equate to how many women are in the commentary box or in executive positions or on boards. More Andrews. We don't need more (laughs) Andrews. Uh, Let's move on. This story will be rolling, so I'm sure we can revisit it at any time we like. Massive period watch this week. Not massive period, but massive period watch was huge this week. Uh, Period watch has taken on, in light of new information, we have been talking about the importance of tracking periods for elite sportswomen and sportswomen generally, elite and otherwise, for performance abilities and and how it actually does change what people can achieve on the field and, and how you feel and you know, mental and physical stuff that it affects. And really interesting this week, in light of new legislation that's been passed in Florida, a story out of Florida now has quite a sinister handmaid's kind of tale kind of feeling about it, Lou. Yeah, so there was a story that we all became aware of on Twitter where student athletes have been told that they need to have their period tracked to be eligible to play sport. And it's always been the case, but that information's being digitized now. And there's a real fear of how that information can be weaponized in a state that has abortion bans after 15 weeks, with absolutely no exceptions. Um, and also in a country where Roe v. Wade's been overturned. Also, where trans athletes are being targeted and excluded from sport. Um, for people who menstruate, it's a really that information in certain jurisdictions is becoming something that you want to keep fairly um, secure and perhaps quite private. As you said, you know, we've we've talked about how um, we've talked positively about how sporting organisations and coaches incorporating menstruation into their planning and the supporting of athletes has been such a positive thing. And it just made me think about when situations change you can go from supporting bodies to policing bodies very very quickly and it just seems like a really scary place to be sure does I'd move like I would genuinely move my daughter out of that situation Mm -hmm. I would pack up my home and we would be gone in those states in America at the moment yeah my fear is very unsafe there's so many people in those states that you know, wouldn't be able to afford to and, Absolutely. you know, and the the challenges that they have about policing women's bodies, of course, all of the people in the most marginal. Everybody's and bodies. Every, yeah, yeah, everyone's bodies, but people that are marginalised in every tiny little corner 
are always going to be the ones who are worst affected. And, you know, this this makes you not want to play sport as well. You like you think about mm. well, what could yeah. you do if you can't afford to move, just pull your kid out of sport. I sort of feel like I'm at the end of my line more than anything. I feel like don't want to hold my tongue anymore, really want to be strong and advocate for these young people that have lost their voice and feel very, very angry. There's a lot of feelings going on, that's for sure. I've, you know, I've been known to write a bit of fiction and I have to say I would have been too, like, you know, as the, the Handmaid's Tale is constantly referenced, it's not the only, it's, but it's not the only, but it's a perfect encapsulation of this. I think the challenge is as you said, this this data is actually really useful and empowering, and can you know help minimise potentially injuries as well. There's you know all of those sorts of the correlation between body temperatures and and menstrual cycles. So it's a really it can be really important data, and it's just I think the fact that so and Florida's always taken this data, and and other states have too. It's not that unusual. It's you know them how they're handling it and managing it, um, but it was always optional, and I think that's you know, in the end, there is this sort of complexity around this idea, but the two most important things are, one, that it's optional, and two, what happens with that data? They're the key factors um, and that that should always be in the hands of the the medical or it should be confidential between the the patient themselves or the the student themselves in this situation, their young people, and their medical, you know, practitioner who has um, conducted this survey because it is usually handled as a medical process and that's another uh, deviation in this Florida account is that this is being sent to the schools. And I, the minute consent is removed or um, control of that information, that data is taken out of the hands of the people whose private information it is, that's when we're in, you know, big brother territory. And I feel like we're so far down that track. It is I want to be more optimistic about it. I, I want to. I think in Australia we're we're in a better place. I think we we manage this sort of information. I think we manage our rights better. But having said that, you know, America is. I often think only 10, 15 years ahead of us in some of these movements, and so we have to be ever vigilant here to make sure that this doesn't expand. I'm getting the feeling that this whole podcast is about data in a different light. Would not smell quite as sweet. <laughs> just to borrow from William Shakespeare, because, you know, data is helpful. And then you see, it's like, you know, when Jerry Seinfeld's girlfriend, also not a great example, but under the porch lights, she looked one way, but under the other lights, she looked a completely different way (laughs) and it couldn't work out which one was real. Uh, I feel like that's what's happening with this data. You're getting long shadows and dark shadows from in places that we never expected. It's time for us to get to final business. Uh, Of course, we're heading into Pride Round. There will be two Pride Rounds. Lots of people have differing views on whether rounds should roll over two rounds when you're having a special round necessarily that it's that you put it you put it up because I know Tess Armstrong has some strong opinions about this well no I was just gonna say that I think that where it is it's not necessarily two rounds it's that a lot of teams wanted to have the opportunity to wear their pride jumper in front of their home crowd and so that's why we saw people like West Coast wear theirs on Friday night but the pride round is round eight and can't wait for it 
and will stretch on to round nine when Hawthorne finally wear their pride jumper in front of their home team. I cannot yes. wait to see the pride jumpers. They just take it next level every year. West Coast was so excited. Obviously, there was a bit of a hullabaloo last season because they didn't have their pride jumper. So it's exciting to see how people are bringing stories in. And I love that it's inclusive of so many different things. Having the Auslan sign on a jumper is an awesome addition and that's what I feel like AFLW just lends in spades. Mm. I did see this beautiful tweet today that said something like, uh, it was from a Hawthorne Twitter user who rarely tweets about Hawthorne AFLW but had said having this W team is just so exciting as kept me invested in footy through until October and I'm so thrilled about that and I thought that's exactly it. That's the message. And now that we're all in, I think having everyone having a team, it feels it feels more inclusive, of course, so it feels better. It's also the first time we've every every team has fielded a pride jersey too. Mm. Jersey. 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 Mm. No, so it's the first time, so that's great because we, we know that that didn't happen last season. And so many of them are including the Progress Pride flag, which I think is wonderful because that flag acknowledges people of colour and how that intersection between being a person of colour and being from the LGBTQIA plus community can often be um, more complex. But it also acknowledges those who lost their lives to HIV and AIDS and it acknowledges the trans community. So love it. Love it. Is there any other final beeswax, my friends? The draft combine took place on the weekend. I don't know whether you saw any of the um, vision out of that, but I saw an article last week from Jake Nile who was saying that the AFL had asked all of the clubs to have an Indigenous specialist present when interviewing First Nation players and that that recommendation had been in train prior to the allegations about Hawthorne. And I thought that was that was interesting. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's pretty good. I know Paulie Vandenberg at the AFL has been working really hard on that and bringing that in in the Pathways programs to make sure that there are is a culturally safe space for these kids coming forward. So it's good to see things and his work being put into place. Although how ridiculous is the draft though? Can I just, not the actual draft, but the media speculation around it where like they, someone will just like come up with some complex arrangement that they literally pluck out of the air and then they break it down. And then when it doesn't go that way, they then explain why it didn't go that way. And then somebody else counters with their own version of it is actual fiction. And I, I don't know, I understand they have to fill pages, but my goodness me, they're trying to make something that is very boring. interesting and I admire them for it but it's not working can (laughs) I just say that it's okay to be a footy fan fan and find it boring it's okay to be a fan and find that boring I reckon it's just fan fiction (laughs) I literally tune out around about this time of year just like literally no interest just show me who I've got great thanks move on (laughs) Give me the highlights reel. Give me the highlights reel. My memory is so bad that I can't even remember players that have played with us for a decade when I go back (laughs) round one of the next season. I go, oh, who's that again? And it's the same in AFLW. Even when we've got two seasons in one year, I'm like, who is that one again? (laughs) It's just there's too many players to remember. Maybe that's why they always get all those players' names wrong because it's hard. Um, It's hard to do. And here we are nitpicking, nitpicking them. Oh, Gravelade. God bless you. Thrones that we are. All right, my friends, I think it's time for us to get out of here because I can hear Winston barking and asking for his dinner. 
I love Winston being on the pod. Uh, Shout out to Tess Armstrong, who does edit this pod, who unfortunately I think has lost her child to the cats (laughs) because Maddie keeps saying go cats and she's not going to be able to get him back. And the schadenfreude of that has just made me giggle my head off. Um, It is time for us to get out of here. There is only one thing left to say, and that is go go footy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.